Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. Which means it's night in America here in the season of autumn. black cat appeared here at the haunted temple of Santa Minerva, a suspiciously bold and friendly cat, likely harboring an old deity. The owls have been swooping low and hooting long into the night. The fireplace is back in use after another long summer. A summer that felt as if it had returned. These last few days, a common occurrence in October, like in the old William Wilfred Campbell verses, you might remember. Along the line of smoky hills, the crimson forest stands. And all the day the blue jay calls throughout the autumn lands. Now by the brook the maple leans with all his glory spread. And all the sumacs on the hills have turned their green to red. Now by great marshes wrapped in mist or past some river's mouth. Throughout the long, still autumn day, wild birds are flying south. This is the time for a certain kind of story, a type of tale we often tell on this radio program. But during these weeks of October, I will tell you a few more and I'll worry even less about where they take place. For they all take place in a season of growing darkness. Tonight I want to tell you a ghost story. Without making any claims regarding what a ghost is, because I don't claim to know. But we know some broader meanings of the word ghost from the old high German word geist. 
which shares the Proto-Indo-European root and can mean the spirit of the time, as in the German Zeitgeist, or Time Ghost. And it can be a noisy supernatural entity, as in Poltergeist, Geist relates to a kind of religious agitation and or being frightened. Both the German and English words can refer to spirits of the haunted, of the holy, and of the alcoholic varieties as well as the spirit of mind and mass consciousness. I suppose all of these meanings play a role in this story, not least the zeitgeist. Because this story takes place in the golden city of Prague in the days after the Velvet Revolution. When thousands of Westerners, Americans mostly, suddenly appeared in this medieval city where alchemists and magicians and other misfits and artists had been welcomed by Rudolf II in the 16th century. The place where Jewish mystics created Golem the Avenger. And where the weirdest and most underground elements of mid-20th century culture took root before the Soviets crushed the Prague Spring in August of 1968. But the ghost in this story very much fits the Czech words Thrashidlo, a supernatural spirit. It paid a spectral visit to the four of us. Four young Americans on a cold winter's night on the edge of Prague. The street name will give you a sense of what this part of town was like in that freezing gray winter time in the new year of 1993. Elektra meaning power plant. You reach this ground floor apartment by walking about a mile alongside various industrial facilities and an electric bus storage yard, and generally no other visible humans. Other than inside the building itself where there was a simple working man's pub, where most of the clientele wore the blue coverall uniform of the power plant and the cigarette smoke obscured anything not directly in front of you. Like the barman who was always growling and grumbling because I'd bring in this enormous hollow log beer pitcher to get filled up for a pocket full of coins... 
The pitcher, it turned out, was some sort of novelty hollow log pitcher not meant for real or regular use. So it leaked. Terribly, and it had no lid, meaning every trip to the apartment lobby pub meant a trail of beer on the way back. It wasn't really my apartment. I was subletting it from my dear friend Matt Welch as he had taken over the newspaper bureau that I'd established in Bratislava on the ground floor of Slovakia's Pravda building and I'd come back to Prague. The country had split apart old Czechoslovakia, I mean. And after what they called the Velvet Divorce was complete with a whimper instead of a war, I'd handed my Bratislava office keys to Welch, one of the English-language newspaper in Prague's founders and editors. And he'd given me the keys to his grimy, gloomy little flat in Prague 10, which was six kilometers and a very long bus ride and a world away from the people and the action and the coal-smoking medieval streets and the all-night life I loved in that town. Anyway, that's why I include myself in those four young Americans because 1993 was three decades ago at which time I was significantly younger so I had gone to sleep after midnight on a trifold mattress pad on the floor of this little apartment in a foreign land But my eyes opened to a situation I immediately recognized from childhood and occasional instances since. I was awake, my mind alert, but I could not move. Next to me, only inches away from my eyes, was a long wooden wardrobe of mid-century Middle Europe style, three doors of shiny wood veneer, musty old bedding and linens inside. The center door of the wardrobe, the one closest to me, was moving. It was opening very slowly towards me. And then with its lower corner nearly touching my forehead, it would close back again. Just as slowly. And then this maddening routine would repeat. I tried and failed to go back to sleep. From the other side of the bedroom, I heard light breathing and the occasional snore from the people sharing the real bed. Visitors, a newly married young couple, my friends Brett and Linda. If they were fine, then I must be experiencing the sleep paralysis. 
the definition used in the scientific papers to dismiss whatever happens to people and such frozen moments of terror. If only I could get back to sleep. How long had it been? Well, this is when a new wrinkle became apparent, what you might call a wrinkle in time. I realized my wristwatch was in my line of sight. On my left wrist, uselessly petrified, petrified like the rest of me, but the watch was ticking and I could see it and the second hand was making its way around the dial at what seemed like its normal pace. And so I spent the next 15 minutes or so watching the hands of my watch as regular time progressed from about 3.30 a.m. when I first noticed I could make out the time till a quarter to four. That's when, in the northeast corner of the room at the foot of my makeshift bed, I now saw the three men standing, facing me. Their coats were long and black, like World War II trench coats. Their hats, though, were of narrow brim, mundane, the hats of bureaucrats, maybe in the late 50s, early 1960s. But all of this was dark, of minimal detail and maximum dread. And still, I could not move. The air was stale and dry. The wardrobe door continued its slow movement, and I could not make a sound. Behind me, through the double glass window, looking out on a frozen little closed courtyard where people hung their wet laundry to freeze, brilliant white lights were erratically flashing. I could now see their reflection on the shiny veneer of the cabinet doors and see the dark trio of figures at the foot of my bedding. Those figures were looking at me, though I could not see their faces. And with that, The bedroom light switched on and I heard a gasp and then another, a gasp from my guests, my friends, and then the confused, quiet voice of Linda, I think. Is something happening? The spell, or whatever you want to call it, was broken. The enchantment had come to an end. 
I found I could move again, and I sat right up. Nobody ever got back to sleep that night, as you might imagine. But no sooner had the three of us begun whispering about whatever had occurred, there was a knock on the bedroom door, and the third guest, who we'll call Kate, and who had been sleeping in my usual bed in the flat's main room, the combination living room kitchenette, I had just woken from a terrible nightmare. The kind you can't remember at all. But it leaves you weeping and shaken. Somebody put a kettle on the burner and we all had cups of tea and smoked cigarettes because we all smoked back then. So the four of us sat on the floor in a magic circle and sipped our tea and talked about what had occurred. For Brett and Linda, the young couple sharing that bedroom with me, voices had come up from beneath their bed, it seemed, and sounded distinctly Japanese. Then came the lights pulsing through the double window from the empty little courtyard with its frozen mud and clotheslines and one miserly tree stripped of leaves. My third guest, who woke up crying and distraught without knowing why, was relieved to hear the rest of us whispering in the next room. That's when she knocked. I did not love the apartment because it was too far away from everything and cloaked in the dust of bachelor living and overall a hostile environment, especially in that pub. Even if it was all my fault for bringing that terrible Yule log decoration in there week after week. But... I'd had no supernatural problems there before, although I had been warned. The narrow bed was in the living room kitchenette because the usual occupant, my friend and comrade who had traded keys with me, refused to sleep in the real bedroom when he lived there alone. Because he did not like the vibe. When his guitar was left alone in that bedroom, for example, it would sometimes begin to play as if someone was strumming the open strings. Thinking about this strange night in that long-ago wintertime, I am reminded that the weird phenomena some of us call high strangeness can create a variety of experiences. Even within the same group of people in the same place at the same time. Oh. 
like with the famous poltergeist hauntings involving adolescence, the wild hormones and emotions of a child becoming psychically mature and physically mature. Combined to generate or attract all manner of restless spirits and random horrors to an entire household. Adults at odds with one another, especially when those adults have a close relationship, can also produce the poltergeist effect. In April of 1909, Sigmund Freud and Carl Gustav Jung tried to come to terms with their competing theories, an ultimate vision of psychological reality. As their conversation became more heated, the bookcases and walls of Freud's home produced dramatic crashes and bangs. Carl Gustav Jung later described it this way. It interested me to hear Freud's views on precognition and parapsychology in general. When I visited him in Vienna in 1909, I asked him what he thought of these matters. Because of his materialistic prejudice, he rejected this entire complex of questions as nonsensical. While Freud was going on in this way, I had a curious sensation. It was as if my diaphragm were made of iron and was becoming red-hot, a glowing vault. And at that moment, there was such a loud report in the bookcase, which stood right next to us, that we both started up an alarm, fearing the thing was going to topple over on us. I said to Freud, Now there is an example of a so-called catalytic exteriorization phenomenon. Oh, come on, he exclaimed. That is sheer nonsense. It is not, I replied. You are mistaken, Herr Professor. And to prove my point, I now predict that there will be another loud report. Sure enough, no sooner had I said the words... Then the same detonation went off in the bookcase. To this day, I do not know what gave me this certainty. Now, Freud would later write to Jung that while the poltergeist activity, quote, made a powerful impression on me, end quote, he had since determined that the creaking and slamming was mundane. Simply the sounds of old furniture in an old house and only by chance did the cabinet produce such dramatic banging right when the tension between the men was at its height. That meaningful coincidence, of course, exactly illustrated Jung's point. But Freud would not and could not go there. Jung had already chosen the path of the mystic, of the world mystical. Freud, already so vexed that he'd begun fainting in Jung's company, doubled down on sexual frustration as a source of all that occurs within the psyche. Their competing ideas and theories, sexual dissatisfaction on the Freudian side versus the now well-known Jungian concepts of introverts and extroverts, the anima and the animus, ancient archetypes, and the collective unconscious. 
were both radical views at the time, but it is Freud's view which has gone out of style. While 21st century culture has widely adopted the views of Jung. The profession they founded, psychotherapy, has since grown into the $500 billion global mental health market, one of the leading growth industries in the world, with an 8% annual growth projected well into the next decade, which is 10 times the global population growth during that same time period. Go figure. Had I been taught more of the folklore and the customs of my various ancestors, I would have already known in 1993 how a person or groups of people often become the conduit for strange energies. And I would have known that those in proximity to one perceiving an event can often tune in to the same vision sometimes by simply touching the one who perceives it. Here's a wonderful example from the classic study by Evans Wentz, The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries, published in 1911, the same year Jung published his Symbols of Transformation, which would make his split with Freud permanent. From the Evans Wentz text, Conferring Vision of a Phantom Funeral. There used to be an old man at Newchurch named David Davis who lived about 17 and 80 to 18 and 40 who was noted for seeing phantom funerals. One appeared to him once when he was with a friend. Do you see it? Do you see it? The old man excitedly asked. No, said his friend. Then the old man placed his foot on his friend's foot and said, Do you see it now? And the friend replied that he did. From Amboy to Zizek's and across the great Mojave wilderness. This is Desert Oracle Radio with soundscapes by Red, Blue, Black, Silver. And I am your host, Ken Lane. Join us again next week for more spooky stories as we head towards Halloween. And I will be wrapping up this haunted month of October with two live events. First, a radio show recorded for broadcast at Hakumba Hot Springs, that's an hour east of San Diego. And the show will take place within the enormously charged old ruins of the Hakumba Hot Springs Bathhouse. Go to Hakumba.com, that's with a J, and click Happenings, Friday night, October 20. Aim to get there by dark. Because it's a long, twisty road, and it always takes longer than you remember. There's some confusion about showtime, but it's going to be at 8 p.m., and you should be there by 7 p.m. Does that make sense? 
And then on Sunday, October 29th, campfire stories at the Tiny Pony in Yucca Valley in the high desert. Good night from the voice of the desert.